title of today's message is God's Gift of Rest, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, if you want to turn there in your Bibles or flip over your bulletin where you have the words that we're going to be studying this morning. There was an evangelical pastor I heard once that told a story of a time that he and his family went to Israel. They landed in Tel Aviv around 7 p.m. on Friday night, and after they got through customs, got their bags, all that kind of stuff, they got to their hotel about 8.30 and after they checked in, they went over to the elevators where they found two different elevator banks and a long line of Orthodox Jewish people waiting in line next to one elevator. A very, very long line. It just did not seem to be moving. And above that elevator, there was a sign written in Hebrew. Oh, it had been a long time since the pastor had been to Bible college, and so he couldn't really read the sign. So he asked somebody in line, he goes, what is that sign and why is everybody in this line over here? He goes, well, that sign says this is the Shabbat elevator. And the pastor remembered from Bible college, well, Shabbat means Sabbath. And so he asked, well, what is the Shabbat elevator? And what's wrong with the other elevator? He goes, oh, the other elevator is working fine. He says, but you see, we can't push a button on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. So this elevator, we all just get in and it stops on every single floor on the way up and stops on every single floor, all 32 floors, on the way down. And that's why there's such a line there, because we have to wait for it to go through all that. And so the pastor said, well, just so I'm you know, clear here, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this other elevator. And the guy said, no, the other elevator's working fine, it's just we can't take it. And he goes, okay, come on, gang, we're getting into Jesus' elevator over here. And so he got in, and he thought he was going to be the only one in the elevator. But as soon as he got in, a whole bunch of people from this line came and shifted over, and they're saying, can you push number three? Can you push number five? Can you push number six? I don't know. I think they felt, well, they're just Christians, and they're doomed anyway, so we might as well take advantage of it, get to our rooms a little faster. But it was just very interesting that this story is an example of how a wise and loving gift from God can be misinterpreted and very misapplied to a degree that really sets a burden upon the people that God never intended. In addition to the elevators, consider about what other Shabbat rules would guide these Orthodox Jews in their hotel stay today. All these people who rode the elevator with the pastor would then have to call room service to turn their lights on for them. Because flipping on a light switch was also considered work on the Sabbath, according to them. And by the way, who did room service in the in these Jewish hotels, Gentiles, people who don't care if they do work on the Sabbath. But in order to obey Shabbat, the staff at the hotel would also have to walk around Friday afternoon and untwist the light bulbs in all the refrigerators. Because by opening the refrigerator, it would activate a switch which would turn a light on, and that was considered work, and therefore a violation of the Shabbat law. Now, most of us have never had to experience things like that, living in rural America. But you can see like things like this even in America. I remember when I went to the Milwaukee Jewish home in Milwaukee as part of my 911 duties. We would see things like this all the time. We would just be walking by a room and somebody would say, who was sitting in a chair and could have gotten up and done it themselves, say, well, can you turn the light on for me? It's getting dark in here and I can't turn the light on because it's Shabbat and that would be a violation of that commandment. And so we would see things like that. You see things like this in Milwaukee or uh, Chicago. There's a very large Jewish population down there, and they have the same type of, of customs in their community. 
So what does Shabbat, or the Sabbath day, mean for us as Christians? Since our roots are in Judaism, do all these restrictions matter to us today? Is this something that we should be following? I mean, after all, there are some denominations that believe this, like the Seventh-day Adventists and Messianic Jewish uh, people. They still follow many of these laws regarding the Sabbath day, but most obviously do not. However, this is a commandment. It's obviously very important to God because he spoke it to the Hebrews at Mount Sinai and he included it in his Big Ten of the Ten Commandments. In fact, violating part of Shabbat or Sabbath was considered a capital crime in ancient Israel. It was, in fact, um, part of what the Pharisees' problem with Jesus, wasn't it? What was one of the things they were constantly criticizing him for? Violating their idea of the Sabbath uh, tradition and Sabbath law. It, was, it got them so incensed with him that it eventually led them to plot against Jesus and turn him over to Pilate to put him to death. So let's look today at the commandment as it's written. And then we're going to ex um, explore its ancient applications, its history, and the meaning behind it. And then we are going to look at how we are to view and apply it to our lives today. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And Father, we just want to take this scripture and learn to apply it correctly. And we want to learn to see it as the gift you have given us and honor it in that way. So, Father, just be with us. Help us to throw aside any preconceived notions that we might have and read what your word actually says about this important commandment, Father. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, the commandment itself that we read here points us back to where we understand the basics of what it's trying to say. So to do that, we're going to go back to the beginning and look at the theology and history behind the fourth commandment. In Genesis 1 um, and 2, the Bible details the creation of the universe and of all life by God. These two chapters take us through everything from the creation of the stars and galaxies to bringing it right down to earth and telling us how the animal kingdom was formed and then finishes with the creation of humanity, the part of creation that is made in the very image of God. And there are a few details that really set up our understanding of Shabbat or Sabbath and even much of the Bible's general theology and they are found in Genesis 1.31 and going into Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. And this is a huge point right here. The sixth day. Evening and then morning. Continuing into chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. A few keys to the Bible's understanding of how we measure time. The biblical day, as understood by ancient Israel, and it's still seen this way by modern Jews, is from evening to evening. Not like us in the Western world sees it from midnight to midnight. Although modern Israel follows the same clock we do, the religious side of Israel sees that days starting at day's end and starting again at the next day's end. In fact, they measure it from sundown, from the time they can see the three brightest stars in the sky until the next evening when that happens again. Now that is what a biblical day is. And that's important to us Christians also, because one of the truths that we know is that Christ was in the grave for three days and three nights. And if you looked at it from the Western um, aspect of looking at time, it just doesn't work that way. But when you apply the Israel way of looking at it and the Bible's way of looking at it, it makes perfect sense. He was in the ground three days and three nights if we go evening to evening instead of 24 hours starting at midnight. So if we put it, on, put it on a biblical calendar, God would have started creation on Sunday and ceased by sundown Friday night. God then declares the seventh day to be sundown, or the Sabbath day, the seventh day, to be sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and declares that to be holy. Holy means to be set apart for God's purpose. And in this case, God's purpose is rest. Now, rest is a holy principle. It's a reflection of our Father's heart. Having a God that commands you to rest is very unique among world religions. All other religions, all their practices revolve around doing something. They revolve around working towards something to make your God pleased with you because of all the work that you're doing with them. But our God orders us to regularly rest. Now, we can't interpret or understand the Ten Commandments apart from the time or the situation they were given. The Ten Commandments were given to newly released slaves. Now, think about that. These are slaves. They didn't get days off. They don't get sick days, paid vacations, comp days, mental health days, I'm stressed out days, I'm hungover days, I'm, I'm what, you know, whatever. They didn't get days off. You worked or you were punished and perhaps even killed. That's the world that they lived in. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, for your whole adult life, you were working. And you would probably die working for them. It was this way for 400 years for them. And that's what makes the fourth commandment so unique is that it shows us the difference between the Egyptian gods and Yahweh God. It shows Israel the true loving father heart of the God that they were coming to the desert to follow. The God who gives them a commandment that says, take one full day off per week. Do no work. You need to rest. You need to recharge. And then you need to take time to set this aside and worship me. That's pretty revolutionary for a slave. It's like, I get a day off? I, you're giving me a day off, God? You mean I don't have to do anything? And observant Jews have kept this law pretty strictly since it's been given. In fact, the reason that you and I have a two-day weekend is because of the Jews who immigrated here. After World War I and II, many of the Jews fled Europe to come here. Many of them who fled were somewhat wealthy and formed businesses here. 
And so they had to hire people, and the people that they hired were Gentiles, which is you and me, unless you're Jewish here. We're Gentiles, so they hired us. Well, the Gentiles are saying, well, we want Sunday off. We don't want Saturday off. We go to church on, on Sunday here. When they're, and the owners are like, well, we go to church on Saturday. So to compromise, they said, okay, we're going to have Saturday and Sunday off. That's where we got our weekend. I know the AFL-CIO want to claim credit for that, but that's exactly where the weekend came from. Now, God's way, though, was for us to work six days a week and have only one day off. So next time you want to celebrate a weekend, thank a Jew. It was all because of them. That's a, a bit of the history and theology behind the Sabbath day. Let's look at what it means for us as Christians living in a modern world. So what does it mean for us today? If there's ever been a time for us to understand and appreciate the idea and to practice a Sabbath, it's in the today's world, isn't it? I mean, we're bombarded with everything in this world that fights against any, any inkling in our brain against the idea of rest. And most of us were probably raised to work very hard. And when you're done working, you go home and you go somewhere else and do some more work. Days off are for lazy people. That's the way I was raised. I was told you need at least one full-time job, a part-time job, and maybe a home business just in case things got really hard. And if you're going to be successful, that's what you need to do. Last week I mentioned about my grandfather. Remember I told you all the things that he was involved with, many of them at the same time. He had three to four different jobs, three to four clubs or organizations that he was involved with, usually very, very active with. And he created and showed fishing tackle out of the garage uh, for musky fishing, that people would come and, and buy some of his, uh, his musky bait. And I, it was really uh, great for attracting muskies, so if I know the secret to making them, so I can hook you up. And uh, Thank you for that joke, Pastor. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. I knew a woman at my past job. She was a full-time nurse in a hospital. She was a part-time nurse at the jail. She was a full-time farmer on the family farm. She and her husband had five children. All the five children were involved in multiple sports, multiple activities, and still had to come home and help on the farm. Probably one of the most busiest people I had ever met. She was also one of the most tired, depressed, and stressed out people that I knew trying to organize all this into her life. She smoked like a chimney, she drank like a fish, and she was on three different anti-anxiety medications, two different mood-stabilizing medications, and a sleeping pill just to get through her day. And I know this because I had to transport her for her third cardiac half. She was 42 years old. Our world today needs to return to this idea of rest. And for many of us, rest sounds like a sin, doesn't it? We weren't raised to rest. We were raised to work. But do you know that actually taking a day off a week is honoring God? Do you know that taking a day to sleep in is actually worship? My daughter Cassie would love that idea. <laughs> do you know that God has prescribed rest as part of our lives? It's not a rule that it has to be followed. It is a blessing that God has given us. Amen. You know, Jesus' disciples were walking through a grain field, and they're walking and, and picking the heads 
off the grain and they're eating them as they walked. And some people would point to that and say, well, Jesus sinned because he was stealing. No, the Old Testament law allowed for the farmers to leave the first few furrows on the ends of their fields open so people could come by if they're walking along the road and get hungry. They could just pick some grain and eat it as they're walking along. So that he wasn't stealing. He was actually following the law by eating this. And so the Pharisees see this and say, well, you're violating the Sabbath. He goes, well, number one, you're walking, and number two, you're harvesting something and, and eating it on the Sabbath. He goes, that violates at least four of our 39 categories of how you follow the Sabbath. And each of those 39 categories had about five or six different things behind the categories of everything you could and could not do on the Sabbath. So they notified Jesus that he, is, that he and his disciples were sinning. And remember, this is a capital crime. Jesus' reply gives us our modern understanding of what the Sabbath is. In Mark 2.27, he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Amen. Now to break this down a little bit, I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says that Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So let me unpack a little bit what Jesus was saying. God created humanity. That's you and me. He created us to work. What was God's plan? God's plan back in the beginning. God creates Adam. Then he creates Eve. Introduces them to each other. They have a little honeymoon time. Then what does he do? Puts them in a garden and puts them to work, doesn't he? So you and I were created for work. That's God's plan in the beginning. That's also God's plan for the end, by the way. God's plan is God's plan, and it's unchanging. For all you who envision heaven as a cloud, a harp, and a very long nap, anybody look at heaven that way? I'm going to go by and by, sit on a cloud, play a harp. You're going to be very surprised when you get there. Jesus told us that he is preparing a place for us in heaven, and that Greek word for place means a position. It doesn't necessarily mean a mansion on a hill with angelic servants. It means that you are going to be actively involved with helping him reign and rule over the universe. That's a job. Humanity is created to work. In fact, most of us find our identity, most of us find our sense of self-worth, particularly if you're father and male, you find your self-worth in the job that you do and you take pride in how well you do them. And God knows that, and he also knows that we have a spiritual enemy named Satan. And Satan is going to attempt to take all that God-given desire for us to work and try to supercharge it to the point where it's going to kill us spiritually and physically. And that is why the fourth commandment exists, to tell us to stop and take a rest. And the Sabbath was not given to impose a requirement we have to follow and somehow check off a spiritual checklist to earn God's favor, it's a gift from a father who is looking out for his children because he loves them. So how do we apply this to our lives today in the 21st century? The first thing we do to apply this is to recognize the wisdom of God. Remember the nurse I mentioned on her third cardiac cath at the age of 42? That can be you and I if we don't appreciate and understand our need for Sabbath. You know, even uh, companies now are telling their senior executives, you need to take vacation. You need to take something called a sabbatical. A sabbatical is something where they pay you not to work. 
They pay you to take time off. And they got this from the church. They'll never admit it, but they got this idea from the church. In fact, right now, our district superintendent is on a sabbatical. He's been going for eight years with very little vacation, just, you know, Larry's traveling all the time and, and going to church to church, and he's always on the move. And, and finally, the Presbytery Board said, Larry, you need to take a sabbatical. So he's off for the next 10 weeks or so. I was told to do this when, at my last church. He told me I was, you know, you're on the edge of burnout. You're trying to work two jobs and trying to do ministry. He gave me 10 weeks off in the middle of the summer from all my ministry duties. So you need to show up for church and that's it. If people ask you to do something at church, you just say, nope, I'm on sabbatical. So there is some wisdom behind that. And that's what this idea shows us is that there's a wisdom in that we have to plan for our rest. And rest isn't something that comes naturally to most of us, is not it? Most of us, if we sat on the couch not, and didn't do anything, we'd be, I got to go do something. I got to go mow the lawn. I got to trim. I got to go. I got I to gotta do something. It's not something that comes naturally to us unless it's put on the calendar and written down in ink, not pencil, that you can scratch off. It needs to be something that you plan for. In fact, rest and Sabbath should be the first thing you put on your calendar, not the last thing you try to squeeze in over here. And I'm, surely but, I'm slowly but surely trying to work that into my calendar because most of us feel a bit guilty about taking a whole day off. I know I do. I'm kind of preaching this whole message to myself. But for you who are stressed out and worn out and on the razor's edge of burnout in your own life, this is for you. You need to actually plan to take your rest. Many people keep trying to do things over and over and over again and wondering why you know, the same things keep happening. In fact, insanity is defined as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So if there's anybody here that might be on that ragged edge of burnout and exhaustion, try God's way. Plan to rest. Because you and I need to steward our time, don't we? In the church, we talk a lot about the stewardship of money. We talk a lot about stewardship of talents and things that you give to God. But we don't talk a lot about the stewardship of our time. But the thing is, is that you can earn more money. You can develop a talent. But you can't get more time. Your time is allotted to you. Your day of death is already written in pen on God's calendar. That's why stewarding the time that he has given us is so important and why rest needs to top, be a top priority when we make our plans and when we write down our calendars. The second application is to rest from all worldly stimulation. That means we have to actually turn off our TVs. Unless you have, like we do, we have a K-Love that can play in the background on our TV, spiritual music. For goodness sakes, turn off the news. If something will get you stressed out, the news will do it. Turn off the computers. And most importantly for many people today, put up the smartphones. Or at least disable its data feed for the day if you need it for a phone. When I was studying for this message, I found several scholarly articles that really surprised me. I found out that modern psychiatry and modern medicine is adding smartphone addiction to its list of addictive mental illnesses. In the next edition of what the psychiatrists use, it's called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, and they use that to properly diagnose mental illness. They're actually adding smartphone addiction 
to one of the highest level addictions that there is. And I read several of the abstracts in the research article, and they're saying that smartphone addiction is becoming the number one addiction in the world. Research has confirmed in multiple studies that use of a smartphone to text or use social media trigger the same exact brain chemical, which is called dopamine, that gambling, pornography, smoking, drinking, drug use uses to produce addiction in our brains. The same exact chemical, same reaction that happens with smartphones. And I'll be honest, when I first read this, first read the couple articles, I thought, this is a bunch of garbage science and you know they're just trying to make something up. But then I really started to think about it. And I started to look around, I started even looking at my own life. I walked back um, from getting something in the cafeteria after I read this article and walked around the corner and everybody at the nurse's station who wasn't immediately attending a patient, what were they doing? Looking at their phones. Walk past patient rooms. What are the patients doing? Looking at their phones. What are their family doing? Looking at their phones. What do you think one of the first requests is when people walk into the hospital? What's your Wi-Fi password? In fact, I can't even get people in triage to put down their cell phone long enough to answer questions that I need to properly get them to where they need to go because they're on their phones. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I got a tweet that I'm at the hospital. All right? I got to put it on Facebook. I got to check in so I can get all the likes and get all the, oh, what's wrong with you and all that, that feedback from my friends. Go to a mall. What do you see? People walking around, looking at their phones, bumping into each other. Go to Dollar General or Gordy's. People walking down the aisle with a phone in their hand. That'll be me because I'm looking at a, usually the uh, list that Tammy's sending me to shop for. But people walking down the phone with their hand, waiting for the next message. Even the Amish have them now. You'll see the Amish in Dollar General looking at their smartphones. They're not supposed to have. <laughs> Drive past people on the highway. What are they doing? looking at their phones, swerving all over the place. Even more telling to us, if you go out for um, lunch later, go to the restaurant and look at the couples out for a date. What are they doing? Are they talking to each other, holding hands, having a connection time? Or are they looking at their phones? And I have to admit, I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not going to say Tammy's guilty of it. But we're... We're part of the society, and we're guilty of this. And that's why I wanted to bring that need for Sabbath right down to where we live, because you need a Sabbath from those things too. If there is anything other than God that you feel that you could live without, or you can't live without, that's an idol. That's an addiction. That's something that you need to be able to, be able to put aside and have regular Sabbaths from, or it becomes that addiction. I mean, if you were going away for three days and you pulled out of the driveway and you get about 20 miles down the road, realize you forgot your cell phone, how many people turn around and get it? I know nobody's going to confess. How about your Bible? Did you turn around and get your Bible? Just saying. Finally, our ability to take Sabbaths show that we trust in God. In an early message, we said the Ten Commandments form a protective fence around God's yard to keep his children from falling off cliffs, cliffs and into harm and darkness. 
And a plank in that fence represents honoring the Sabbath. And it shows us who we place our faith and our trust in. And we need to remember the most important thing that the Bible teaches us about Sabbath as we close today. In Hebrews 4.9 it says that there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Therefore let us make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And that rest is not just found in honoring one day out of seven, but it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And some of you need that rest that God is offering through Christ Jesus this morning.